There you go. An engineer's word. This building has one of the highest tornado ratings in all the city. There you go. Um, okay. Uh, and, and Tommy's checking on some information here. Like I said, we're going to do the appropriate thing, find out what we have to do here. But um, you know, if it makes you anxious that we had to call the audible here and, and just adjust, don't worry about it. All right? Um, I've had worse than this happen when I'm preaching, and um, that's a story for another time. We've already mentioned that this being Mother's Day, <clears throat> and maybe this is very appropriate, that we come into Mother's Day with a lot of grand sentimental ideas. I mean, we want everything to be perfect, and it's usually not. We want everything to be sentimental and sweet, and, and, and we want it to touch our heart, and that's not always the case. And all of our moms who stood up today, they can tell you, each and every one of them can tell you that the joy of being a mom is not always joyous, right? Moms, you can amen if that's true, okay? I mean, don't worry about it. God won't, well, I don't know. God may come down if you women speak in here because we may, uh, you know, uh, this, this service is already so messed up it doesn't count. It doesn't fit the criteria, so... Uh, This is an extra. We'll have to make this up like we do school days. Um, We're okay? It's south of us. See there? All right. Okay. Let's move on. Now, the uh, Mother's Day and and motherhood does not always work out like we hope it will. And I would say that at best, Mother's Day can be, it's, it's just bittersweet. Because as we've mentioned It's hard to overlook the fact that Mother's Day can evoke real pain. And that's my fault. Um, Some of our family, this is the first Mother's Day that their, their mother's no longer with them. Mother's Day may be a constant reminder of some pain. And I'm not wanting to dwell on that, but just like... We have to name things that are going on around us so we can move on. Sometimes we have to name these realities that take place. And, and, and the, the sentimental veneer of Mother's Day, as good as it is, I mean, it's good to be sentimental because it means that we're evoking feelings. But we have to understand that there's more to it than that as well. So even if I, I'm not specifically naming every possible feeling that anyone can feel, on Mother's Day, that might be painful, that might be sorrowful. Just understand this. We're acknowledging that that does happen. And if Mother's Day is not a happy Mother's Day for you, we're acknowledging that and we're saying that that's okay. You're not broken for feeling that way. There's nothing wrong with you because you feel that way. But what I do want to encourage you with is that Mother's Day, like many other things, or, or the whole experience of motherhood, can be transformed by God's grace. You might think of it as the alchemy of grace. Alchemy, and don't, don't, don't bother looking for a definition on alchemy. It changes, just like alchemy. Alchemy is a weird pseudoscience that through the ages people have called it different things. It's, it's somewhere between ancient science and astrology. But what we all know about the alchemists, among other things, is that they were always trying to do 
something uh, almost magical. And usually we think of alchemists trying to turn lead into gold. They're trying to take something base and something ordinary and turn it into something noble and something wonderful. And isn't that what grace, God's grace, does? It takes the ordinary, or it even takes the tragic, it takes the sorrowful, and it has this ability to transform it into something more than we can ask or imagine. I want to read two texts for you, and I want you to look at two women in the Bible who become mothers, and one thought she could never become a mother. That's Elizabeth. And the other, Mary, may not have been prepared to be a mother. But she accepted what was going to be a rather difficult calling. To have to endure the scandal of being with child while she's not yet married to her husband. And and not everybody's going to accept the word that this child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. I mean, you can tell people that, but they're not necessarily going to believe that. Mary... Here's the word of God, and she says in Luke chapter 1, verse, verse 47, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. Do you see her language? She's saying that, that socially, culturally, she's on the lowest rung of society. She's the kind of person that would be overlooked. She's the kind of person that would be unimportant. She's not mature. She hasn't proven herself to be a mother. But she's the one that God favors. She says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their throne and exalted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made his promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her own home. Mary and Elizabeth are enjoying this fellowship of mothers, learning that God's grace can change their situation and make it into something that they never could have expected. Now, don't misunderstand. This doesn't mean that God just suddenly shows up, waves a magic wand, everyone lives happily ever after, and everything is just filled with sweetness and happiness at that moment. No, no. It's a much deeper joy. It's a joy that blossoms. It's a joy that, that, that springs forth out of even difficult or humble circumstances. Look one chapter over with me at Luke chapter 2. This is sometime later. After Jesus, uh, he's been born and they're taking, Joseph and Mary are taking him to the temple so that he'll be dedicated That's that's the custom of Israel. And when they get there, they're met by an old man named Simeon. Simeon was waiting to see the Lord's Messiah. And though he probably wouldn't live to see that Messiah as an adult, he was thankful that he was able to see the birth of the Messiah. 
And so he says in verse 29, Sovereign Lord, let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He's a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. And Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about Jesus. And Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. How would you like to have a blessing for your newborn child, a, uh, maybe a shower like we typically do? And all of a sudden, one of our old fellows wanders in there and just says, a, soul will, a sword will pierce your heart. Well, I don't think we would, that would go over very well, now would it? Uh, you know, we, we like pastel-colored packages, and we like to keep it happy and light. This is not your typical baby shower blessing, is it? What's going on here, and why can this be considered in any sense a blessing? It can be considered a blessing because Simeon is speaking truth. He's not being mean. He's not being uh, difficult. But he's saying that even though there will be people who will oppose Christ, even though Mary will experience pain witnessing that, even though there will be joy. There, there will be a turnaround. There will be redemption. There will be renewal. And that these worst things that they will experience will not be the final things. That's the alchemy of grace. That's God's grace stepping into difficult situations and transforming them, transmuting them, turning them into something else, something better, something for His purposes. Okay, great. Two verses. Can we, can we see this in other places? Yes, we can. I want to show you three verses so that, so that you, you, you understand this. Because this is a word both for Mother's Day but for every day. Genesis uh, chapter 50, verse 20. This is the story of, uh, of Joseph. Who's taken away from his mother and father as a child because his own brothers are filled with jealousy and, 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 and wickedness. And they, uh, they, they take him. Uh, to Egypt. But the evil that they intended to do is transformed. At that moment where Joseph is now the second in command of the mightiest empire on earth in his day, his brothers stand before him and he can seek revenge on them and no one will question it. In fact, he might even have a just cause in doing so. But Joseph chooses to see all of the bad things that happened to him differently. In verse 20, he says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. God did not will or want Joseph's brothers to mistreat him, but God stepped into that wickedness and made it into something that would accomplish his purposes. God is the great recycler. I mean, have you ever seen repurposed stuff? If you're ever in St. Louis, go see the City Museum in St. Louis. They've got all of this stuff that they've decorated the place with. 
It's junk. It's, it's like old pieces of machinery, old artifacts from uh, cafeterias, school rooms, everything else. But they've repurposed it into beautiful and amazing things, fun things, good things. Well, that's nothing new. God's been doing that in this world ever since it first broke down. And he has been taking these things and repurposing them. Whatever things have happened, God can repurpose them for his intentions. Let me put it like this. God's going to make sure that the bad guys don't win. Okay? Since we got the kids with us. That's, that's the message. God's going to make sure that the bad guys don't win. And no matter what evil does in this world... God can repurpose it and turn it around. He can turn it upside down and make it into something good for his purposes. Second verse, Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28, Paul is writing about the work of God and the amazing things that, that, that God can do, and he's, he's sharing this encouragement with the churches in Rome. He says, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know this, that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. Now that can be a very difficult verse to hear, and it's actually a very difficult verse to translate. In this setting, I won't get into all of that. But the best translation is one that, well, let me, let me give you the worst translation. The worst translation is the one that says, if you love God then nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. And you may have heard that interpretation. I'm going to stand with you in rejecting that interpretation. I don't think that's what this says. I, that's my opinion. That's my interpretation. I'll hold my own on that. I would say that the better way to understand this is that Paul is, because think about Paul. His life, you know, it wasn't a bed of roses, all right? He didn't have an easy path. I mean, the man had been through some difficult, difficult stuff. So for him to say, hey, if you love God, nothing bad ever happens to you. Paul, what about what's happening to you? Uh, it's great. And you know, that, that's not Paul. I think what Paul is saying is that in every situation, God can step in and he can turn it around and make it work for good. That also fits with what Joseph said in Genesis 50. Finally, one last scripture, 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12 Verse 9, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he's talking about his weaknesses. How often do we admit to our weaknesses? Paul is admitting to his limitations, the things that he can't do, the bad things that have happened to him, and yes, maybe even the bad things that he's done. But he names this in verse 8, and he says three different times, I have begged the Lord to take it away. What is it? It's a thorn in the flesh is what he calls it. And that's his way of describing something that tormented him. And everyone has speculated on what this is. Whatever it is, just know this. Paul wants it to go away. It's that bad. But God's answer has been, no, it's not going away. 
but it's going to be changed. It's not going away, and yes, it may keep you weak, but that's going to be all right because instead of just taking it away, I'm going to give you sufficient grace that it's going to transform it into something that's going to be even better than your condition would be if I took it away. That may be a hard word to hear. But Paul says that's the alchemy of grace. That's the amazing power of grace. That it can turn weakness into strength. Listen, I want you to know this because there's a philosophy that's out there. There's a philosophy that's out there that's been around for quite some time, well before Charles Darwin. It's the philosophy that says the, only the fit shall survive. You know, survival of the fittest. The strong will survive. That philosophy has been around for a long, long time. And it appears to us in different forms. And what it convinces us of or, or, or causes us to think as we look out and we see the world is that if we're weak or those who are weak, they somehow need to be culled from the herd. That is not God's way. That is not how God sees things. In fact, the message is that in weakness, God is able to create strength. Not a strength that comes from our own ability, but a strength that can only be attributed to God. So don't worry about the weaknesses. Don't worry about your limitations. Because I'm going to call you to action, okay? I'm going to call you to action, and one of the first things we always do is we want to say, oh, yes, but... I, don't, I can't do this, and I'm not able to do that. And you're going to focus on the limitations and the weaknesses. Go ahead, name those things, and then hand them to God and say, how are you going to overcome this one? Okay, don't tell me. You know, you're going to come up to me and say, I'd love to do that, but you don't understand. What am I going to do? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm worse off than, than, than most of you. I mean, i got my limitations too. But if you'll turn it over to God and say, show me how you're going to overcome this. Um, Bob and Annette Whitaker are with us today. Uh, so good to hear Bob with his amen. And, uh, and, and they told us about leaving their baby behind in Swaziland. Yeah. You know, that got everybody stirred up this morning. I mean, if you think the tornado was bad this morning in class, everybody's like, they left a baby in Swaziland? And uh, yeah, they're talking about the clinic. They're invested in that clinic. And it's like their child, six weeks old, and to leave it and to come here and to be with us, to celebrate their son's graduation, as much as they want to do that, they have this, this, this sense of concern that this wonderful ministry that has just, you know, that, and again, Bob was telling us this morning that he could have focused on the weaknesses. He could have focused on his limitations, but he decided to turn it over to God and then just press on. And God has borne fruit in that ministry. And he still will. There's much more to be done. And we have faith that God will do great things. But it's that attitude of owning the work of God like a mother would. Owning it like it's a child. Owning it like we, it, we, it's ours. That's where the real alchemy of grace turns into the action of grace. I want you to think about not only that clinic and the work that they're doing in Swaziland. But I want you to think about the different works that go on among us that we've been talking about. And you can see. The spirit of mothering a ministry. I mean, and and it's, our, it's our moms, it's our women, it's our Christian sisters who have motivated and worked in a lot of this. And our Christian brothers have been a part of it as well. In the last few weeks, um, we've heard from some of our parents here 
who were involved in fostering and adoption. Kent Snyder came and he told us how scary and challenging it can be. But what an amazing adventure to go on for God. And oh, what differences could come about. Uh, Rachel Snyder is telling you about different, if, you, if, you're, if you're paying attention or just go talk to them about groups like the call, support networks, like the children's homes that we support every, every Sunday morning. How can you be a part of that and be involved in that action of grace? On the front page, Rick admonished you to read your bulletin, and I agree with that. On the front page is one of the finest articles written in that bulletin from Kim Bice. I look right here, and there's a big empty spot this morning. Because the children who are part of that van ministry, because Josh and Kim aren't here, they're not here to pick them up and bring them here. I want to say this, not in an accusatory way, and I want you to hear me right. Brothers and sisters, that shouldn't be so. I mean, there's others of us who can drive, right? Not all of you. I mean, I'll do my own paraphrase of James. Not all of you should be drivers, okay? For different reasons. But some of you can. Some of you can be. And we need you. And if you can't drive, well, we also need people to just ride along. I mean, one person has to drive, and then one person has to look at the rest of the van, okay? Um, Just to help. There's all sorts of ways you can be a part of that. And I know this. I know that, you know, bringing in children whose parents aren't here. And again, think about Mother's Day. For them, Mother's Day may not be a positive experience for any number of reasons. I know it can be difficult. I know they run around the building. Our kids don't do that. And, the, uh, and, you, know, and, and uh, you know, it can be challenging because things have to be taught. But maybe the biggest challenge we need to get over is that it's not our way. If we're concerned about this not fitting into our way, we need to stop and ask ourselves, is our way God's way? Is our way Christ's way? Because I think I've got a pretty good idea where Christ stands on this. There's a lot of controversial issues. But when it comes to sharing the gospel with the little ones that he loves, oh, he's all for it. And he's not going to stand behind our worries for very long. Um, But I don't want to scold you. I want to encourage you. And I want to ask you to consider how you can do something there. I know we say things like this all the time. And, I'm not, and, I, and I want you to pray about it. I want you to think about it. See if God is leading you somewhere that you thought, well, I, I never would have thought that I could have done that. I love to hear the stories of people who say, I never would have imagined that I could be a part of a ministry like that. I never would have imagined that God could have used me in such a way. But when they do, when they take that first step, when they take that action of grace, they experience God's grace all over again, and then they realize that they can't do it alone, but God can do immeasurably more than all they can ask or imagine. Finally, there's, there's two ministries. One of them begins today, Heart to Heart Pregnancy Center. We've been helping for a long time, and you're going to get your baby bottles as you leave today. And between today and Father's Day, if you'll just put change in those baby bottles, we'll bring those back, and we'll support that, that ministry. And then I found out that there's another ministry in this town, the, the River Valley, this, this is a mouthful, the River Valley Medical Pregnancy Center. And we're finding out that God is doing things in that ministry that 
the other ministry is, is doing also, but things where they can enhance and cooperate each other. We don't own either one of these ministries, all right? In fact, I don't know that we own any ministry. God owns them all. But our association with them may be different than what we usually think of. But here's the thing. We see where God is working, and we want to join Him in that work. And it may mean that we partner with people, that we're just meeting, or you know, people who are different. But we work through that, because we believe that God will accomplish things. And we know this. We know that God cares about life. We know that God has created life. And if we can make an eternal difference in the life of people who have to make life and death decisions, mothers who are sometimes find themselves in the midst of life and death decisions, then we can step in with God's grace. God can bring his grace to that situation and transform it into something good. And let me tell you, among these ministries, and I, that one of the ways that the alchemy of grace works is, is when you see it work in the life of a mother who has chosen to terminate a pregnancy. And I have known some of these sisters in Christ and heard their stories. And I know that it, that can be an incredible burden to bear, but what I want you to know is God does not want you to remain condemned. Yes, there are things that will always be painful about that experience. And I'm not hear me carefully. What God does not want is for another one of his children to eternally be accused by Satan, the accuser, the evil one, and never understand how grace can turn her life around into something for God's purposes. And I don't know if that's you or if that's someone you know, but we need to have a big vision of God's grace that he can do this wonderful work of changing those things that may be sorrowful, sad, tragic, even sinful and wicked, and he can turn them around for his purposes. If we don't believe that, then we really are wasting our time here. Finally, I just want to ask you this. If you're involved in these ministries, if you're taking action because of God's grace, who prays for you? Nobody can go into this alone. There's too much burnout in ministry because people go into ministry and they don't have somebody praying for them. If you're in ministry, Josh and Kim here are asking for help in that, in that bulletin article. Uh, Bob and Annette Whitaker are here. They're asking for help. Each and every one of them needs somebody who specifically prays for them. Because we're reminding ourselves and we're asking God, they need more than what they can do on their own. Now, when you pray that prayer, be ready because God may put hands and feet to your prayer and pick you up and have you take action. And if he does... That's joy, okay? That's going to be good. That's going to be an adventure. Don't go into it with the attitude that, oh, well, God's going to make me do work. No, it's going to be an adventure, and it's going to heal you. It's going to give you a sense that you're doing things for God's purposes. And so in addition to these people needing people to pray for them, we need you to be in prayer. It's, it's really the ministry that we all must be involved in. Okay, as we close this, this section right here, let, let me just say this. There may be needs for prayer. There, there, there may be some need that you have this morning, some encouragement that you, that you need. Our shepherds, the ministry that they've been called to is that ministry of prayer. And maybe today something's been said that 
And I'm not worried about what I've said or that I need the, the, the support or the affirmation of it. I just hope that God has communicated something to you. And I do want you to be very serious about what action you need to take. And it might be, mean being a disciple. It might mean taking that first step through baptism. It might mean asking for some help, some encouragement, so that, so that your Christian walk will grow and mature. Whatever it is, while we stand, while we sing this song, if you want to meet with the elders here in room 100, why don't you do so, okay? Let's stand, let's sing, let's encourage one another.